0: hello friends and welcome back to the tolkien debate show which is hopefully going to be a weekly show and i believe this is episode 6 and today we are going to be discussing berlin and luthien what the one of the three major tales or great tales of tolkien's legendarium of course last week we discussed the fall of gondolin lots of different versions we went through chronologically breaking it down um seeing the comparison similarities, some differences and our overall thoughts so to continue as mentioned earlier we are doing we are doing bed and luthien today but as usual joining joining us is firstly i'm zo hello my friend hi (laughs) sound really really happy there great to have you on we also have florian hello nice to be back great to have you on as always and finally lexi from girl next gondor
1: there everyone
0: and of course everyone's links will be um in the description or podcast description or however it works now because of course we have moved from youtube but i think just for some as we i just briefly mentioned earlier we are going through all of the three the three main tales of tolkien's works especially in the silmarillion we've we've gone through fall of gondolin so that's moved to side now so the next one we have is beren and luthien so, I think similarly to last time, I think the best way to start off is what I think the best base text to look at is the Silmarillion. And as I am so budded, so our well, last time, do you want to have a go at this again?
2: Okay, sure. So, the Silmarillion version of Baron and Luthien. Well, unlike Gondolin, this one is a bit more fleshed out, and so uh, you get more character de- development and dialogue. And the story is essentially that of Beren, the son of a lord of men who was driven off his lands by Sauron and who wanders through mountains and forests and ends up in the hidden realm of Doriath, an elven realm uh, ruled by King Thingol with his queen Melian and their daughter, Lúthien, which is dubbed by Tolkien the the fairest of all the children of Iluvator he the fairest of all living beings except the Valar and the angels when Baron lays his, his eyes on her he is immediately love-struck. but Luthien flees and he stays he in the forest there a bit uh, uh, astonished and then after a few a few events she ends up falling in love with him too and she brings him before her father. Her father is not happy with it at all. He hates men, and he loves his daughter more than anything. So the idea of wedding his daughter to to a lowly mortal just uh, is, a, is absolutely abhorrent to him. But Beren is proud, and his pride leads Thingol to challenge him to bring down, a, to bring back a Silmaril for a Silmaril of Fëanor from the crown of Morgoth, the big Dark Lord who rules in the northern regions of Beleriand. Beren accepts the challenge and departs. In a, departs to Nargothrond, which is ruled by King Finrod, who was who was a friend of the uh, of the House of Beren. When Barin comes there, and uh, when Baron comes there, Finrod recognizes him, and uh, he listens to his tale. He accepts to to help him to assist him in his quest, but but he he has unfortunately hosted two sons of Théoden, who when they know that Beren is planning to take a Silmaril, gets angry and uh, manipulates the people of Nargothrond into betraying Finrod. So Finrod ends up leaving with ten companions and Beren, and with some magic trick of his, he disguises them as orcs, and they all travel to Tolingauros, the fortress which Sauron has conquered and uh, made his, uh, his seat. There, Sauron and Finrod have a sort of rap battle, which Finrod loses, and he, all of them are put, put into uh, are jailed into the dungeons of Dol At this time, Luthien escapes from Doriath, and uh, she stumbles upon Celebrimbor and his brother Curufin, who lie to her, uh, pretending to be to to, de- to desire helping her, but end up. Uh, uh, well Sequestrating her in Nargothorn However, the dog of Keligor, Juan, who is a magic Magic hound Who came from Valinor and who is Fated to both fight the greatest wolf who will ever walk the earth And speak thrice Will help Lucien to flee And accompany her all the way to Tolingars Where both of them will manage to defeat Sauron And get and get back mastery Over the tower She frees Beren, but sadly Finrod had, uh, but sadly Finrod had died in in that time. They bury him. They bury him in tol And when the youngs were uh, prisoner of the of the fortress, come back to Nargathorn, they reveal the treasure, the treachery, treachery of uh, Celebrimbor and Carafin, who are banished from uh, from the city, and flee flee east towards the fortress of their own brother Maedros. Uh, on the way, they meet again with Baron and Lucien, and Curufín and Kelgorm try to kidnap Lucien, but Baron stops them uh, Kurufin attacks Baron, which leads uh, which leads the hound want to betray Kaligorm and side with Baron and Lucien once and for all. He makes the two brothers flee and then they and then Baron parts with Lucien and uh, in the night and flee and goes towards Endbank the fortress of Morgoth where he plans to take us uh to take the summary which Thingol had had requested. Uh Huan carries Luthien all the way to, to Angband and he leakband where the where she is barren and uh, makes him agree to never leave her again. He then Huon then leaves the two the the two to journey into the dark fortress of uh, Morgoth and and stays there uh Disguised in, disguised as a messenger of Sauron for Luthien and, uh, and and one of his wolves for baron they manage to to get past the Karkaroth, the hound, who, the wolf who who is guarding the, the gate, and they get into Angband, which is in Tolkien's word literally hell. It means the iron hell in in Sindarin. So there, Luthien the Proposes to sing us to sing a song to Morgoth, who accepts, but he is tricked because that song is actually a magical song which puts him to sleep. He and his uh, and his entire court, uh, Baron profits from this to take one Silmaril from the crown of Morgoth, and then both of them flee. But uh, in the but in the meantime, Carcharoth has awakened again, and uh, and he uh, he bites he bites he bites, he bites off the the hand of Baron which holds the Silmaril. However, the Somaril is hallowed by Varda. It burns everything, every foul creature that touches it. And you can guess that Kokoros is feeling incredibly, is suffering incredibly, and so he starts running around in Balerian. Uh Eagles come. They carry Beren to they carry Beren and Luthien into a glade of a glade where Luthien heals Beren, and they retrieve Huan, uh, And then the, all of them come back to Doriath where he meets with tingle and there there is a little moment where he trolls him tingle asks him where is the baron tells him to give him his to give him the, the hand of luthien and tingle answers back where's my silver?" baron shows his first hand which is empty and then he brings forth the remaining of his arm and from there on he is called camelost the ddd which means the empty the empty-handed so after all of this, Thingol and his guards and Beren and Huon go chase chase down the wolf Kalkaroth and they end up killing him. But both Huon and Beren die die in the in the chase. Luthien is absolutely dismayed. She t- she tells Beren to to stay in Mandos and to take his time. Uh, while she decides to forsake life and. Uh, and go to the halls of Mandos. There she sings a song which is so beautiful, so heartbreaking, that Mandos the Unmoved is moved to pity, which had never happened before, and probably hasn't happened uh, anytime since. Thus, both of, them, both of them are granted a special doom. Luthien can become a human of sorts, like she, she shares the fate of Beren, and both of them can come back to Middle-earth at the condition of never... Of never before, during living again amongst uh, humans and elves again. Honestly, this is a tale which I prefer much more than the Fall of Gondolin, and this is a tale that I love a lot because it's one of the few tale in Tolkien which you can say that it has a happy ending. In the Silmarillion, at least it's the only tale that has a happy ending. This is something that Tolkien himself acknowledged. In the beginning of the chapter 19 he says among the tales of sorrow and of ruin that come down to us from the darkness of those days that there are yet some in which amid weeping there is joy and under the the shadow of death light that So he himself acknowledged that that this story is much more joyful and this is really what i feel when i'm reading it there are tragic and uh, borderline horrific uh, elements with a barren journey through Nandun the valley which is full of spiders and uh, and uh, beasts with many eyes, uh, Sauron himself and his, fort- uh, his fortress of Hell, which is full of werewolves and just led by Sauron. Sauron, who actually here he gets much more of a role than he ever did in the Lord of Rings. For me, you see him talk, you see you see his his evilness play. He isn't just the general secretary of the <laughs> the general secretary of the syndicate of evil. But here he is, the Dark Lord, in exerting his treachery and his malice uh, in uh, at its length. And then you have Angband, the fortress of Morgoth, the the place which is upheld by horror, uh, lit by fire, and uh, kept by madness or something. I don't exactly remember how Tolkien phrased it, but. It's the epitome of uh, Tolkienian darkness and those two lovers those two partners those two friends because again while Tolkien style is very subtly developing characters you do feel that there is a, a lot of chemistry be- between Baron and Luthien on one hand but also Baron Luthien and Huon. they aren't simply Romeo and Juliet Luthien is an active character but they keep they keep saving each other each time. Luthien saves Baron from uh, from Sauron, Baron saves Luthien from uh Caligorm, etc. And throughout the tale you just see them getting more and more and more in line with each other's and this culminates in the in their the cooperation to bring down Morgos and steal a Silmarillion, a feat that no one not the king of, not the hiking of the Noldor, nor, nor the sons of Fear. No one except the army of light, of lights sent by the themselves would replicate. So it's a no to the power of love. It's a very happy tale that ends happily, and it's a ray of light in the also in the ocean of darkness that is the million. Mhm, and I think
0: yeah you have done a really good job so that is mainly what's in um the Silmarillion but um Florian do you want to continue because there is more um a wider perspective here
3: yeah of course like the <clears throat> like pretty much all of Tolkien's major tales that <clears throat> Baron and Luthien story was first in, invented I think it mostly was in, in 1917, I guess uh, one of the, the later later parts or later invented parts of, of the Book of Lost Tales. But uh, it's very, compared to the Fall of Gondolin, like Tolkien did a more, lot of work later, uh, did a lot of work to change it later, and the version of the Book of Lost Tales is very different, so I will just summarize like the major changes. Because it's, uh, first of all, like the, the most maybe general change is that it's much more like a fairy tale. Like the Silmarils aren't that, aren't really like that big of a deal. Like they don't yet have the, the aren't really tied to the fate of the Noldor or even the world. And like the the whole uh, mortality element in a way is missing because Baron is actually an, uh, an elf, a Noldor. In this, in this story and not a man. So this whole meeting of the, the two kind of children of Luvatar is very different. And like, it's overall much more a, a fairy tale story with a lot of magic and like, like what was the chat later with who i talking animals. So it's, it, feels, it feels very different from the start. Like the geography is also not very clear. Tolkien probably didn't really have it worked out yet. And most notably like the whole uh, first of all the whole uh Nagofront element is missing, so Beren doesn't go to uh, doesn't go there to ask help of Finrod and there's no Kelogon Kurufin who try to, to mess them up like they, basically Huan is just uh the Huan is the the captain of dogs, like there's the dogs are like a a good people mostly. There's the dogs are mostly against Melkor, and then their counterparts are not the evil werewolves like later, but the evil counterparts are the cats, and most of the cats serve the Dark Lord Melkor. So it's pretty much paints a picture of the or well, it tries it's like a mythical tale about why dogs and cats hate each other because dogs are mostly serving good and cats are serving evil, which reflects Tolkien's own views on these on <laughs> these two kinds of pets. Yeah. That's probably the big difference. Like there's no no Sauron but the, the Baron gets captured by uh, gets captured by an evil evil cat, Prince of Cats, uh, Tevildo and he is forced to, to work in their in their kitchen and to make meals for them. And then uh Luthien tries to rescue him. But it does isn't it's not like she has to ride there on Juan and then has a, like, <clears throat> but it's, yeah, Baron isn't, like, laying in a dungeon, but he's forced to work in the kitchen and Lúthien is uh, trying to, is, is tricking Tevildo into thinking that Juan is, is weakened and ill and that that's a, it's a good opportunity to slay him, so Tevildo goes out with some of his companions and they they fight Juan, but Juan of course, isn't really ill, so he defeats them and forces Tevildo to give up his uh, magic collar, which he used to empower and dominate all the other cats. And so when he gives up the collar, Luthien is able to return all the evil giant cats to normal size and free Baron. So it's like a very uh, totally different, like even without the Lord of Rings context with Sauron, it's yeah, it's. It, it's a giant. It's a giant. It's hard to take seriously. It's just a, such a fairy tale story about cats and evil cats that uh, get transformed, and then afterwards Melkor curses all the cats, and after that they are forever alone and have no master anymore. And yeah, this, the the data changes like It's also very. Uh, the, the scene in England doesn't really change that much, but like even the the slaying of Karkaroth, uh, the the wolf is much less epic. It's basically just he he jumps at Baron and then Baron, Huan, and uh, King Fingol all all kill him together. And basically the battle is over in a few seconds, but Baron still dies, and Luthien and Baron get uh, are both elves, but they are allowed to return to life, and but are mortal afterwards. Like that doesn't really work with the later fates of the men and elves, but Tolkien hadn't really worked that out yet, so it's hard to say. Like there's no really framework to determine how big of a deal that was. But I think the the most notable element of the story, which stayed very much the same, was uh, the first encounter between Beren and Lúthien. Like Beren didn't really have all this this backstory, his lineage. He's just like an elf from a vague background. And the, the, this, but the scene where he comes into Doriath and first sees Luthien dancing, that scene is stays very much the same throughout all the different versions. And that's probably because uh, after Tolkien got uh, <clears throat> sick in World War One and went home, he was in, in England for a while. And there, uh, while he was on the military duty, in a garrison in England, his his wife Edith got to visit him, and they uh, walked together. And uh, in a in a woodland glade, like the one Lúthien later is seen by Beren, his wife or well, she she wasn't his wife, but she she danced there, and he Tolkien saw that, and that's basically like a real life the real life inspiration for that scene, and probably the reason why that scene never really changed. Like Throughout his life, Tolkien thought about his wife Edith a bit like Luthien, and he had uh, that name put on her gravestone as well, so that's really probably one of the most iconic scenes in the whole legendarium that never really changed much. So, one
1: of the things that um is nice about the story of baron and luthien uh contrasting it with the fall of gondolin is that we do have i think i made reference to this in the last episode we do have this mid-period which is what i'm going to be talking about which is the um the lay of lathien or the jest of baron and luthien uh, just spelled g-e-s-t meaning sort of a it's a long poetic version of basically this story and it was written after the very different very sort of aesthetically and tonally um much more i guess you could say lighthearted, less serious uh, version that florian just described that was uh, published in the book of lost tales and i think that the if you had to pick a single text that was one of the most important at least for me with when thinking about why middle earth is the way it is and how we get from the again the sort of scattered little adventure stories that are depicted in book of lost tales to the grand epic tragic interlocking extremely dense version that we see in tolkien's later writings hinted at in lord of the rings and then of course Uh, shaped up into more finished form in the Silmarillion, this is it. This is the key bridge. So this is um, the lay. It was written right around, he was working on it um, in the late 20s, started around 1925. Uh, We know that C.S. Lewis was commenting on a version of this in about 1929. Um, and those notes that he made are hilarious and well worth reading just on their own to see Tolkien and Lewis like kind of at their peak friendship going back and forth on their different sort of literary and aesthetic goals. It's just kind of kind of silly, kind of funny to read them basically like hate texting each other in the <laughs> margins of this. quote. hate, hate texting with love. You know, you can tell that they're both very um, fond of each other and both respect each other's opinions, but they're both very opinionated men. And. It's so we get we get insight into that aspect of his imagination and his creativity. His famous sort of relationship with Lewis, which was actually um a pretty contained uh, part of his life, um started and 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 kind of ended. Lewis's influence ended relatively soon during this process. And this is the Lay of Lathian's kind of the peak of his first wave of creativity where he's coming up with all of these space narratives that are going to eventually become the Silmarillion. And then he leaves the Lay unfinished. He goes through a couple versions, leaves it unfinished, and goes on. And then he writes The Hobbit. And this is really important because, of course, The Hobbit is what ends up getting published and getting a lot of success. And people are pressuring him to come up with more Middle-Earth stuff. And, or, well... It wasn't Middle-earth at that point, was it? They're pressuring him to come up with more stuff set in the world of the Hobbit, which at this point can thought of as totally separate from his like very serious mythology for the English language kind of work that he was doing um kind of privately, but his sort of grand project that he'd been working on for years. But there's a very a couple of very important things, of course, in the Hobbit we have references to Elrond being a son of elves and men. We have references to the Necromancer. We have references to um, certain elven kings who were very attached to certain shiny white jewels, um, which I think later on this becomes Thranduil and it's a totally different jewel. But um, at the time you can definitely see the influence of the story of the quest of the Silmaril in the writing of the Hobbit. Now, again, Tolkien wasn't planning on linking these two. Um, but once The Hobbit was published, he began to look at them and realize that, oh, I've kind of inadvertently set this in the same world as the Lay of Baron and Luthien with the same references, and that's where he ended up going with it. So that's why we have Lord of the Rings the way we have it, is because he was working on this poem, and then he switched over to The Hobbit, and then, oh my gosh, it turns out that they're they're the same universe. So that's that's kind of that's my argument for why the lay should be Hell, it, obviously if you're going to the Silmarillion's probably um the fastest read of them all and the lay is unfortunately unfinished but it's one of the most crucial I think if you're going to read something after the Silmarillion yeah, I would start I would my first choice would be the Lay of Lathian.
2: Yeah, that could have been my own if I liked poetry. Uh, to go back to Florian, he said something very interesting about uh, the fairy taleness of the original tale, and when I was rereading the the tale for this, the stream, uh, I had the same observation, uh, but for the Silmarillion version, is that Luthien, uh, for me, it's... She's, she was very different than the other elves we meet throughout the Silmarillion. She she has the wisdom of someone like Finrod. Uh, she has the power of uh, characters like Melian, etc. But she also has a, a, a sort of childlike honesty. She just, she just seems like she is a very she sounds like a very fun person to be around but she really has this upbeat tone about her and the sort of Purity, which makes her, in my eyes, closer to fairies than elves. Fairies, in the sense that the popular fairies, not necessarily what Tolkien himself envisioned as fairies.
3: Yeah, I think that's definitely. True. Like, of course, it's a bit present in later versions. Like, Lúthien is still so, like, trusting enough that she just follows Celebrimbor and Curufin and goes with them, and later on in the when they they encounter them again and they fight lufin basically basically all she does is ask baron not to not to not to kill Mm kurofin but yeah in the tale it's definitely like it's it's she's it's it's, yeah very much a fairy-like character like that she goes into the the castle of the, the castle of the evil cats and like creeps around like in the like I think it's it's not really the the ventilation, but like in a in a corner, or a spot where where Tevildo can't reach her, and like she sits there and and talks to him. Like really, she's like she's a little fairy on the on the wall, trying to. And I I think it's even said like she she's she's lying to him, and like that's specifically called out like that lying and that there's something something she normally would would never do. Like that's lying to. Lying about who I'm being ill and easy to kill for to build or that's really something good good fairy princesses shouldn't shouldn't do and yeah but uh, regarding the delay, I think like delay is a uh, the uh, the long poetic version it's maybe a bit too too hard to understand, and of course sadly it's not complete because it breaks off after Baron has his hands bitten off, but it's uh, it's I think all the, the three versions have versions have their own right. like the Tale of Tanouville is just a nice, you know, fun fairy story adventure that doesn't really compete with the other versions because it's so different. And like the, the Simurian story is the more yeah, accessible and easily understandable and pretty complete complete version that you can it's not not too maybe a bit short at times, but not too short. And then the layers, like this, like if you like poetry and like the the style it's written in, it's really the the detail. It's really really gripping and epic. Like some of the some of the lines have so much more weight with the the rhyming. Like I, I really love the description of Wuhan that's in there. And so yeah, I, if you like poetry at all, I would definitely recommend checking out Layers of Beleriand. Where like there's the Baron Lufian standalone book, but that doesn't have the whole whole A. So if you really want to like like the poetry, you should get the uh, History of Middle B- Earth uh, free, Days of Belarian. That's where Tolkien's well, or of Tolkien's great poems well great in the sense of long, he has other great poems, but all his major major long poems are Yeah, that's
1: another thing about um Lathian that's just kind of flabbergasting is that he goes, Tolkien goes on and on and on for thousands of lines of metered, rhymed poetry telling this story, and it, some of it's like, okay, you know, it's a draft. He Ma probably could have workshopped some of it, but some of the passages are really, really good, even just I think from a sonic standpoint um also i'm a sucker for metered dialogue anyone who's like giving long speeches and it's inverse or even better yet rhymed which it is here um that just it gets me every time i think it's just I think it's really cool and luthien's character to kind of go back to that it's it's kind of funny um and i wonder sometimes if this has to do with the fact that he is writing tale of Tinuviel when he's still kind of a young soldier in love with Edith. Um but yeah or, you know, in the very early days of their marriage versus writing later on, um, having, you know, started a family with her and they've been through some stuff together at this point. Um uh, Luthien becomes much more serious. Um she's she's kind of this playful, not really it, 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 I wanna say like flirtatious in uh, Tale of Tenuvial. She even, when she's bringing Baron before her father, you get the sense that she's not really seriously in love with him. She just kind of thinks he's cute and fun. And then, you know, Thingol kind of sends him off to go get a Silmaril, Kill which himself. is like a death sentence. Yeah, basically. Like, he's he, yeah, no, he he not go really jump.
3: angry in that lay. He just, he's, he's really just laughing. Like, Baron is a total, total joke to him. Yeah, yeah but
2: he, Baron, he makes- Baron answers him back very well.
1: Yes he does. yeah even that's that's another one of those key scenes where you think like you know Tolkien's probably maybe ruminating on some of the things he would have liked to have said to his guardian who wrote off his initial affection for uh Edith. maybe he's been thinking about some of these things for a while, so um, what was the equivalent
2: yeah. of taking a and, like go take the vest of uh, Wilhelm yeah. II? second
1: I see twenty one
3: get twenty one like years old like father <laughs> more. Goes.
1: yeah so luthien's just like she uh, yeah she feels bad for baron but she's not it's not until after she goes through the business with tevildo and everything that she starts to actually express that she is seriously in love with him and she's not just kind of you know this isn't a game for her anymore and then of course in the lay we see that she does fall deeply and fairly truly in love with him. Um. pretty early on, so that's kind of a fun thing, is that she takes the whole thing much more seriously from the start, versus in Tale of Tenuvial, she's like, you know, oh yeah, he's kind of cute, oh daddy, don't be mean, that was that was not nice, and then she feels really bad for him, and she goes to try and fix things, and then it's only after that that she realizes, oh, like, I kind of like you back now, so.
3: Yeah. It's very uh, magical, well, if, if maybe it's like, or general point that, that unites all the versions would be that it's compared to especially to the hobbit but especially compared to lord of the rings there's a very very blatant like use of or well, use of magic and spells in the story like this yes. magic mm-hmm. songs and magic long hair and things
2: and the um, shadow and, cloak
3: yeah that's very and finrod like bursts his bonds which is like unclear if he's just super mastering, like if he's using quote unquote magic for that, and like the way well it's very, it's a very even the the Cimmerian version. Like I think that's part of why it feels a bit. You know, it's so happy compared to the Cimmerian. It's a bit bit out of place because it originally the the original tale wasn't like it took place in the same world, but it wasn't really connected to the major major story of the the world that came in only later with the the Silmaril connection like but as the original conception a tale of tinuviel was uh, a bit of a standalone story in a way
0: yeah and i think something he didn't mention them comparisons with the lord of the rings and the hobbit so of course we know that um this is one of the three major tales and we did last week do the fall of gondolin so um what do you guys think um overall comparing the two so far, what ones do you guys personally prefer? Um first starting off with I'm Z before we wrap up.
2: Mm. <laughs> uh, I'm really bad at those kind of questions, like uh, for the for the other one it was quite easy to dismiss the Silmeridian version but for this tale it's uh, all three are good. Like the first the Silmeridian tale is epic and uh, it's tonally in accordance with the tone of the whole Silmeridian. The the rhyme uh, version has some great scenes which sadly did not make it to the to the prose version which go which goes the Silmarillion. And the early tale is quite fun and it's a great outlook into Tolkien's early conceptions, as well to maybe his more personal conceptions about marital life, which could make us say that the mariner's wife was also a musing about marriage, but later in his years. Okay, sorry for <laughs> sorry yeah. for this
0: tangent. <laughs> yeah, and just quickly, just for the sake of time, um, Florian and Lexi?
3: Yeah, I think like this, as I said, I think that all, all the different, like the Tale of Denuviel and the Lay of Lathian and the Cimmerian version are all nice. And there's some intermediate stories that don't differ too much, but are also good. And like compared to our last last time with uh, Fall of Gondolin, like even the, or maybe like the, the Book of Lost Tales one, like the Book of Lost Tales. Fall of Gondolin can definitely compete with the, the Tale of Tenuviel also from the Book of Lost Tales. But yeah, the problem is that Tolkien never really returned to the Fall of Gondolin. like mm, He abandoned yeah. the poem very early on. So it's like, if Tolkien had finished his later Gondolin story, there would be a competition. But uh, the way it is, like Beren and Lúthien is clearly the better tale or the more impressive tale to me.
0: Mm-hmm. Indeed. I think yeah, the fact that it wasn't finished does normally lend its hand. With um, Bernard Luthier, I'm sure Lexi, you can agree as well, if that is your take.
1: Yeah, um, just for personal preference, like I said, I I really do enjoy the lay. It's really fun mm-hmm. for me to read because of just of the the way that it's the things in it that are idiosyncratically, just things that I prefer, like, again, the metered dialogue and the scenes and the depth of um, complexity that you get, and, of course, the running commentary by C.S. Lewis, which is just really fun. Um, I think, you know, the Silmarillion version, I think Baron and Luthien comes out the strongest um, of the versions that were condensed of the Three Great Tales into the Silmarillion. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, probably better than the job that... um, poor Chris Tolkien had to do with yeah. Children of Hurin trying to get mm-hmm. that into uh, place, and then, um, yeah, again, far and away better than Fall of Gondolin, which is sadly just due to its unfinished state. So, yeah, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll I'll, leave it there.
0: I agree. And, um, so, first of all, thank you, I'm Zoe.
2: Thank you again for having me in this podcast.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Thank you, Florian.
3: Oh, I was glad to be at... Uh... Probably the episode I looked forward the most to. Perfect, perfect. And thank you, Lexi.
1: Thank you, gentlemen. Always a pleasure.
0: Mm -hmm, Indeed. And we'll see you next week. Goodbye.